Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I am your host, Shane Bacon. And this week, a fun one, Brandel Chambly jumped on the podcast. And it's really just kind of an overview conversation of 2019. We touch on Brooks Kepka and what we have both learned about Kepka the last you know, six, seven months since the Masters and doing what he did again in the majors and now another win as he had in Memphis and where he stands kind of in our minds. We touched on Rory McIlroy in the last couple of weeks that he has had. And, you know, I mean, it's been a crazy couple of weeks for Rory, for goodness sakes. I mean, you think about the Open Championship and the way he started and how emotional he was and honest he was. And then he gets to Memphis and he plays great for three days and gets in that final group with Brooks and then doesn't have the same stuff. And just where Rory kind of sits in our brains right now as well. And then touched on the Senior Open. You know, Brandel qualified for the second straight year into that. And he touched. he talked a little bit about being a part of Tom Watson's last Senior Open Championship and how impactful he's been on Lynx Golf in America and how special of a champion he was for so many years and will continue to be. And then lastly, we uh, we hit on Sergio Garcia. I mean, we had to talk a little bit about him, the way he's acted on the golf course. I want to say the last you know six months, but this has been Sergio his entire career, and he's never changed. And I said it with Brandel, but you know, every single fan now is a camera person. I mean, they have their phones in their hands. And if you're acting like an imbecile on the golf course, they're going to catch it. I mean, if you're throwing clubs, breaking clubs, you know, throwing something at your caddy, it is going to be seen by the world because it's going to be shared with the right person. And then they're going to share it with more people. And all of a sudden you're in trouble again. And, And Sergio's behavior just continues to be distasteful for the game and for fans of his and uh, and it's something's going to have to happen. And Brandel, you know, he went, he said there's going to have to be extreme measures, really, if you want to stop this kind of stuff from people that seem to always find themselves heated on a golf course and can't, for whatever reason, control it. So that was how we ended. It was a fun conversation. I think you'll like it. Uh, this week's clubhouse, as all of them are, are brought to you by the great folks at Titleist. And we're excited to share with you guys exclusive opportunities from Titleist. But to be a part of them, you have to join. Team Titleist and Team Titleist, it gives you access to opportunities like prototype testing, special events, limited edition gear from Titleist, and so much more. You can sign up and join. Go to Team Titleist at www.titleist.com slash Team Titleist. That's one word, Team Titleist. And it's more than just a name. It's a community of golfers just like you and me. I mean, Titleist has created a community to connect us to product experts, host events, provide opportunities. You know, when you get those white prototype prototype boxes that float around when the new golf balls come out, that's all a part of Team Titleist. So sign up for it, www.titleist.com slash Team Titleist. It's just a place to go to talk shop, to talk golf with other golf fans. And there are threads about everything. I mean, you can find a thread about the LPGA Tour, about junior golf, about the PGA Tour, about champions, about Scotland, anything you want to find out. It is a place to go to get real true insight. And, uh, and it's a place I really enjoy going. I like to go in there and dig around and see what people are talking about. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it too. So check that out, www.titleist.com slash team Titleist. Let's get to our guest. And we welcome back into the clubhouse, Brandel Chambly, golf channel analyst, host of the Brandel Chambly podcast with Jaime Diaz, which Brandel, I saw on social media, you were saying you've got a couple episodes coming up next week. Is that right? That's right. We were supposed to uh, tape one. Um, I don't know, before the open, I guess, but uh, just schedules got too hectic. And then we were supposed to tape another one during the open. So we're a bit behind. So we're going to tape two next week and 
to get them out there. But uh, but yeah, yeah, it'll be a busy week next week. Yeah, you just uh, you just traveled back uh, stateside. You were uh, obviously across the pond, both uh, doing your job and then playing a little bit of golf. Uh, how many days does it take you to adjust? Are you are you right in that that uh, peak? I don't know when I'm going to sleep time, which is just my favorite when you travel east to west. No, whenever I go east to west, it's 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 a lot easier. Um, I think I think that's the case with most people. But east to west, what I love is you get home and it's time to go to bed where you just <laughs> left from. So it's no problem. You go to bed at you know six seven o'clock at night and you get up at five, which is Really, if if I could draw up the perfect day, that that would be it for me. Uh, I think I'm not alone and probably wasting a little bit too much time uh, scouring the TV at night looking for some, you know, <laughs> whatever show that I can't live without. But really, I could live without. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not the best TV time right now. Uh, we obviously got a chance. Uh, we're, we're kind of right at the end of that morning golf. Uh, you know, all the stuff happening across the pond, which I think uh, one of my friends calls it. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of the coffee golf season, and you wake up super early, and you got golf on TV. You qualified for your second straight Senior Open this year, and my question to you about it is, you know, you are now known as a journalist, as an analyst, more than a golfer. I mean, that is your main gig. You put yourself out in the position to succeed, but to also fail. Do you put more pressure on yourself now, knowing that if you went out and shot 79 or 80 or 81, you're going to get... 10,000 people on social media going, what do you know? You don't know anything about golf. <laughs> no. I mean, I, I don't think this would come as a shock to anybody, but I really do not care what people think. <laughs> Very I, I fair. absolutely could care less. Uh, you know, this is my quest. It's not theirs. They can criticize it. it yeah, fine. They're happy to criticize it. It wouldn't bother me if they did. Um, as I have said a million times, uh, and it's hard to do, but, you know, someone – should be able to compliment you in the highest regard and then criticize you. Um, and you should be unaffected by either. You know, I know what I want to do. I know what I'm, I want to do. I know how I want to do it. Um, I care, obviously, what the people in my life uh, think. And uh, I certainly, you know, want to uh, consider their thoughts. But by and large, you know, Look, social media is full of nothing but critics. Uh, there's some great things about some great things about social media, and I I honestly think it's had a lot to do with uh, young players coming out and playing so well because I think teaching has greatly improved because of social media because it has it has done the one thing for teaching that the periodicals in the game would never do, and that is provide peer review. Uh, it was too much of a buddy-buddy system. When I look at the top 50 teachers in, in the various periodicals, I know for sure those are not the top 50 teachers. Those are the top most 50 popular teachers, the ones who are very good at promoting themselves. But social media has, because it, it allows good ideas to be sort of vetted out, ferreted out and bad ideas to be kicked to the curb as they should be. It's uh, it's provided this, this wonderful. So I'll give social media its due, but when it comes to criticism of what somebody's trying to do, and this even goes to the role that you played recently in the USGA juniors, um, you know, there's very few people that, that, 
whose criticism I pay attention to. I'll yeah. just put it that way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I was going to talk to you a little bit about that uh, a little later because you chimed in on it. And I thought what you said was was kind of spot on. It was it was at least you know in the same vein as we were kind of going about it. Yeah. Is is you yeah. know that there was a viral video floating around from the girls' junior last week at Century World. And one of the one of the players in the finals was playing fairly slow, and uh, the clip was kind of one moment in that championship match. And it was floating around, and my point, and I think it's the same point you were making, is you know these players are 16, 17, 18 years of age, and they play slower or they play slow because it's either been taught that way or they've seen it. And in my point. And something I've told people kind of off the record that have reached out to me via text messages, why weren't you more critical of them on the broadcast? First of all, that's not my job. But second is, if you go to a pickup basketball game and you're watching 16-year-olds right now and they're all throwing up three-pointer after three-pointer after three-pointer, I'm not yelling at the young kids because that's what they're seeing on TV. And, you know, slow play, the trickle-down effect from slow play, at least in my opinion, is if pros are slow and nobody does anything about it, all the players watching are going to do the same thing. And I feel like the line on the golf ball, you know, how you go play with a 15 or 20 handicap and they all draw the Sharpie line on the ball and they're probably not going to start the, the putt on that line most of the time. That to me is because of what the pros have done for years. And we're seeing that now in junior golf. And it's going to be up to parents and coaches to say, you guys have to speed up. It's not necessarily to me on a, on a young player trying to win a big, big championship. I can't disagree with a word you just said. You know, I, I, uh, you know, I mean, breaking that down a little bit, uh, I've, I've never thought drawing a line on a golf ball should be allowed. Um, I don't know how in the world you're not allowed to lay clubs down to line you up. Why should you be allowed to draw a line on your golf ball to line you up? Now, I agree with you hundred percent on this. In addition to, in my eyes, I call that it's soft cheating. Uh, in addition to it being soft cheating, it's time consuming. Uh, I don't do it. I could do it, but I don't do it. I, I put Titleist down where it's whatever. It's horizontal to the ground, and, and I putt. It's like I, I don't want to get up over the golf ball and, and be, be drawn to this line on my golf ball. I want to be thinking about the putt. I want to be thinking about my feel, whatever. Um, and, and as, as it relates to slow play, there's a lot to unpack there other than this girl is, is purposely doing this to annoy her playing partner or it's disrespectful. None of that malicious intent was running through her mind. I've been right where she was. Time fades away into oblivion. You get up over that. You're taking care of all the things. Maybe she's fighting some battle. Maybe she just, you know, hit some poor pots. Maybe she had some bad – in time, she'll figure out how to play her best golf. And you're right, if, it, if the rules were strictly administered at the top for pace of play, it would trickle down into the game. And you would not see people dropping an anchor and taking 60 seconds on the PGA Tour. These conversations that happen between player and caddy on the PGA Tour, while, listen, I mean, TV loves them. It's like, ah, oh, that was great. It's like, no. I promise you the player knew within seconds of getting to the golf ball what club to hit, what shot to hit. He knew it instinctively. She knew it instinctively. They just know it. And because there's all this information out there, people want to talk it through. But you walk up and with seconds, you know. You look at the ball. You look at the wind. You look at the conditions. You know how fast. All those things you, you know in a heartbeat. None of the conversation needs to take place. And 
if there was somebody out there who's, who really did uh, enforce the pace of play rules, not only would people play faster, they'd play better. The, U- the European Tour has, has done a pretty deep dive on that. I'm not going to say they've proved it definitively, but their, their study on that shows that, generally speaking, the faster you play, the better you will play. You know, Brandel, I, I personally, in my golf game this past year, I was kind of a, I wasn't, I've never been a slow player, for goodness sakes, but I was a guy that would get over a shot at times and think, it might be a nine iron, you know, I had eight iron in my hand. And what I've done the last year is, is when I look at a shot, look at a number, or even a chip shot, I go with the very first thing that's popped in my head, and it's improved my golf game. I mean, I play more consistent golf because I'm going with my very first the, the very first thing that comes to my head over a golf shot is the club I'm pulling and the swing I'm making. And I think what you're seeing in professional golf, at least on the men's side right now, are the best players in the world are the fastest. I mean, you think about Kepka, he's quick. Rory's quick. Dustin's quick, pretty much tee to green. I mean, a lot of the guys that are consistently atop these leaderboards are some of the fastest players. And you're hoping that that will kind of bleed out and you'll see some of these players you know, follow in their footsteps because, you know, you get a, a Brooks Kepka having to play with J.B. Holmes at the Open Championship, and Brooks can say whatever he wants, but there's no way that doesn't affect him at least a little bit if you're having to wait on the guy every single shot. Yeah, I mean, there, yeah, I agree with you, but there's a little bit nuance in that. I mean, as the game has become more power dominant, with few exceptions, power players play faster because they have less things to consider. They don't have to go around things. They go over them, and they, and they have a much higher trajectory, so they don't have to worry about what's going to happen on the backside of their golf shots. So long hitters typically have fewer things to consider. If the game were more, or if let's say if accuracy were at least equal to the success of power on the PGA Tour, you would not see such fast players at the top. Okay, It just takes longer to play the game when you have to consider out how to get around something as to how to get over something. So, yeah, I mean, John Daly played fast. Well, so does Brooks Kepka. Why? Because they can carry trees. They can carry dog legs. They can carry bunkers uh, and so forth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, the game is not meant to be played fast. Okay? The, the game is, is you're meant to play the game at a nice pace. And everybody who thinks that you should just, you should just, it's all about the speed, doesn't understand the game. The game is about camaraderie. It is about nature. It is about taking a nice walk in the park. It's about a good story you tell me on the fifth hole. It's about a good story you tell me on the 18th hole. It's not about how fast do we play. Yeah, play with undue delay. And and what is that? Well, you know it when you see it. But uh but it, it, it shouldn't be about how fast you play. I've played in groups before where the primary concern was to play fast. And I can do it, but the game's not near as much fun that way. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you can play, everybody can play in four hours, you know, three hours, 50 minutes, four hours, 15 minutes, somewhere in there. Everybody can. And that's, that's kind of the sweet spot of the game. I agree with you. I was going to ask you about uh, the senior British. Were you disappointed that so many of the top players decided not to make the trip over to Litham? You know, I guess some of them were trying to make their own personal statement about the purse. Uh, 
you know, I, I think that's what was going on. But, you know, look, it's their loss. You know, I mean, I mean, it, it, the market determines what things are worth. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not like they arbitrarily decided to keep the, you know, they, they look at the ratings. The market determines what things are worth. And if, 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 if you don't like it, go home. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> but it's their loss. I mean, they didn't get to play Royal Lytham. They didn't get to be at the last event that Tom Watson played. Uh, in his career of, of open championships. Um, so it's, it's their loss, you know, and, and look, I mean, the game will not remember one bit. They weren't there, not one bit, but they will, you know, they could have gone over there and, and the players that skipped it, some of them had the capability of going over there and winning it. They could have changed the outcome, but uh, it's their loss. It literally is their loss. I stood on the range Thursday morning, hitting golf balls. Tom Watson drops his golf balls. Right down in front of me, he went through his whole sort of stretching routine and sure enough did start his warm-up with the three-iron, which was beautiful to watch. Um, And then, you know, he turned around eventually and we started talking about horses and not about golf and horses and Fred Funk was behind me. And we had a wonderful, you know, 15, 20 minutes there. Uh, And I'll I'll never forget that. And I, I certainly didn't think about the purse when I was over there. I thought about playing Royal Lytham. And the experience of playing that kind of golf. And you you wrote something on Twitter that blew my mind about Tom Watson. You were talking a little bit about it, having a chance to chat with him, his final open. I mean, he was the, you know, as American golf goes, I mean, he is the king of Lynx golf on our side of things, in my opinion. One WD in his career is unbelievable. I mean, you know, considering guys pull out of tournaments all the time, uh, injury or otherwise, Having one WD throughout your career on the PGA Tour, I mean, that is next-level commitment to doing what you do best. Absolutely. You know, that's one of the things I look at. You know, when when we're around, you know, people will say, ah, oh, this guy's, you know, he's tenacious and he's got strong character. I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, he's withdrawn 22 times on the PGA <laughs> Tour. So he's pretty quick to sort of mail it in when things are not going his way. And, you know, look, I mean, if you play 20 years on tour and you've only withdrawn four, five, six times, uh, you know, that's 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 pretty good. You know, I mean, you invariably do get sick or you do get hurt or, you know, your back aches or. But to see somebody play that long and only withdraw once, I mean, that is I promise you he's had, you know, a you know bad back, a bad crick in his neck. He's he's, you know, made a 10 on a hole and was, you know. 12 over from 14 or, you know, he's done that. And, you know, there's just no way he was going to withdraw. He's a, you know, he, he said afterwards, he played the game. It was meant to be played. And that sure that takes talent, but it takes a lot more tenacity. And uh, he, he, he has, he literally did play the game the way it was meant to be played. He, and you know, look, there's, you know, he, he could have used alternative methods when his putter wasn't working for about 10 or 15 years. Uh, but he never did, you know, he stuck with his same method, uh, doggedly. So there's, there's a, a lot, all of us can learn about the way Tom Watson played golf for sure. And, uh, I'll, I'll count myself as pretty damn lucky for being in the last event that, uh, that he played in his open career. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it was, you know, I mean, I think we all live and died, throughout the moments playing Stuart Sink in that open championship. And I mean, 
I, I just thought it really said a lot about him as a human being when he walks into the press center after and says, I mean, this isn't a funeral, guys. Like, it's a golf tournament, and I had a chance to win it, and I didn't win it. And I think everybody could take a breath after that moment, and he had to be the guy, the guy that should be, you know, yeah. I mean, he, he should be in a complete, in a terrible place. I mean, so many players would have had a hard time speaking to the media, and he's the guy that comes out and lightens the mood for everybody in that room who were devastated. I mean, media members wrote about being just as devastated as some of the fans considering they had this, you know, I mean, as good a story as you're going to write about a golf, about a major championship that you could ever think to write basically since 86 and it didn't happen. And, and Tom was the guy that said, everybody relax. It's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, look, he's an incredibly bright guy, uh, incredibly bright. And, you know, I mean, I think, I think his golf swing is, you know, it's it's becoming a bit of a dinosaur. But it, you know, again, there's so much to learn from the way he swung the golf club. Um, you know, and there's so much to learn about, you know, playing injury-free the way he, he swung the golf club. So there's a lot to be learned about the way he handled himself on the golf course, and a lot the way, a lot to be learned about the way he swung the golf club. But uh, you know, that that coming into the press center and saying this isn't a funeral, I mean that. That shows that he has the game in perspective. He played it the way it was meant to be played. It wasn't his whole life, you know. It was his life when he played golf, you know, when he was on the golf course. That was it. But as soon as he was done, there were much bigger things in life to be worried about than whether you win or lost, lose a golf tournament. Uh, I mean, if you're a professional golfer and you're in a position to do that, you're, you're making a nice living. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know his family life all that well, but you know, none of us needs uh, to be reminded of how lucky we are to be involved in this game, either playing it professionally or even on the periphery of this game. You know, broadcasting, commentating. There are a lot worse jobs uh, to be had and pursuits to be passionate about. I wanted to bring up Brooks Kepka just you know, obviously after the win, but just his 2019 as a whole. I mean, you were critical as I was going into the Masters earlier this year when we found out that Kepka had lost a lot of weight and he was kind of struggling with with his distances because he did it for a magazine shoot and it seemed like a really weird time to to go into that why would you do that when major season's coming up and you have a chance to continue on this unbelievable role of course he nearly wins the Masters then he goes on to win at Bethpage and had a chance at the U.S. Open had a chance at the Open Championship what have you learned about Brooks Kepka? this year that maybe you didn't believe in going into the 2019 major season? And what do you, how do you look at him now as the next player in this kind of generational talent that can go out and win on any golf course? Well, there were two things that, that I believed to be true. One was it was incredibly reckless for him to diet in such a way that it, changed his body chemistry and, and, and changed the type of golf that he was playing. Uh, if he, if he, one has the sort of talent that he has to disrupt that on the run up to the masters seemed reckless to me. But if there's anything I think we've learned about Brooks is that he has a defiant sort of thread that runs through him and a sort of a carefree sort of, I'll do it my way, regardless of what you say. And that's great. I mean, more power to him. I, I think that is certainly the way to live your life. Um, and if I had that kind of talent, I think I would have paid more attention to the, you know, the run up to the masters, but 
you know, maybe the body shoot, I've yet to see the, or hear about it. Maybe that'll, you know, in a, in a weird way, make him more popular. Who knows the, the way society works. Uh, what have I learned about him this year that he's better, uh, than I thought he was. Um, you, you know, when 2014 really is the first time he's played, you know, a, a full season on the PGA tour. Um, and you know, he's 19th and scoring average 11th, 9th, 14th, 9th. So he was really good, but you know, he, he wasn't in the upper echelon of consistency and of greatness of Rory McIlroy or Jordan Spieth or Dustin Johnson. Uh, as we sit here and talk, he's third in scoring average this year. And I think we can say quite definitively that major championships bring the best out in him. Uh, I, I certainly couldn't have said that prior to this year with the same sort of uh, definitive attitude. You know, I needed to see more evidence. I thought that he won on very forgiving and soft golf courses off of the tee. And there were only a handful of players that could challenge him in those. And they either missed the cut or they played poorly for the most part. So it left the door open. I mean, when it's all about power and that's all it is, then it's really just who can lift the most weight. And as, as I learned at uh, Beth page black, um, you know, there's, there's, there's more to him. Uh, I think that's probably the best 36 holes that I've ever seen played. Um, and and that's saying a lot because I've watched Tiger, I've, I've watched Rory, I've watched Speed uh, up close. Um, so in Tiger's group, that was the best 36 holes I've ever seen for a variety of different reasons. So he's better than I thought he was, um, which is, you know, I'm happy to learn because, listen, I'm all about, as you are, uh, this game producing big, big stars where you can start looking forward and think, I wonder how good this player is going to be. I wonder if he can fulfill all that talent. I wonder if he can do things that I've never guessed, that I never saw, because that's what we all want to see. We want to see athletes come along that can blow our mind. And uh, he certainly did that at uh, Beth Page Black. Well, and, and on the flip side, and I was going to get into Rory with you a little bit, I, I, I have, I'm at the point now where I think Rory McElroy is the hardest golfer to try to understand. And I say that with the most respect I can towards him. I mean, we all love the way he talks about life and the game and his journey to this point. And, you know, it's, we're going to be Brandle 2,069 days when we get to Augusta national on Thursday for the opening round since his last major title, you know, you, you think about stuff like that with the talent he has and you use the word choke about his opening round at the open championship and used it, and correct me if I'm wrong, used it in, in terms of how he's played opening rounds at majors basically since he was dominant in those four events. So, I mean, as I, as I mentioned, you've got to go back five years. And he struggled to get going in these majors, and he's put himself behind the eight ball so many times that even a good round doesn't really help him get back into contention. It'll help him get into the top ten, but not really in contention. I was talking to Brad Faxon about this and, and just about, you know, Rory and major championships. And I was going back through the years on majors that he's really been in the hunt at. And outside of the masters with Patrick Reed, I can't really think of a lot where he has been right there. Why is it that Rory can't seem to figure it out at the majors? And then, you know, the week after in Memphis, he's right there on Sunday with the chance to win. Well, I mean, it's clear that it's, first round to put him behind the eight ball. Um, he's now played 19 
majors without winning one. That's 19 first rounds, opening rounds, where he is 10 over par for those uh, opening holes. 19 opening holes, he's 10 over par. So not only is he getting off to a bad start in each of those rounds, more or less, he's posting a pretty poor score, averaging right around 55th now, 60th uh, after the first round. That is a lot of ground to make up for uh, in major championships. Now, you know, you keep going why, why, why until you get to, and it all boils down to, you know, unless there's an injury or unless there's swing changes, it gets down to finding the right place mentally to play your best golf. And, and, and look, with few exceptions, everybody in this game has choked. Everybody has has let the moment get the better of them. Uh, I don't remember Tiger doing it. I don't remember Jack doing it. And I've looked at their records to find instances when they did it. Uh, Can't really find it. Every single other player, you can find moments where it looks like the moment got them. And it's, it's true of Rory. So clearly he's not putting himself in the right place mentally. I know he's, you know, he's, looking he's 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 changed his golf swing to try to get more of a fade i think that's a better play for him at augusta national no question um it it looks to me like he's he's searching to try to find the right place mentally to be as good a person as he can be and as good a player as he can be um I, i'm i don't have a degree in psychology but i could tell you that to be a great player you got to be selfish and to be a great person you got to be selfless. And I give Rory a lot of credit because I get the sense that he's trying to balance those two. And, and that's a tough place to be because, you know, as, as much as I've heard him say he doesn't want to be defined as a golfer, he is a golfer. It's, you go look at those commercials where he's four years old hitting golf balls till he's 16 years old. And he's, he's lit up like a Roman candle. Golf, golf, is who he is. I mean, it certainly looks like it to me. It makes him happy. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being selfish about your lifelong world pursuit. I mean, those people who are selfish, you know, who are singularly, singularly focused, it's not necessarily pretty in their wake. You know, it probably wasn't nice to be around Steve Jobs. Uh, It probably wasn't that nice to be around Tiger Woods when he was carving out that territory. Now, maybe Maybe Rory doesn't want to be that, that singularly focused. But if he doesn't, there's going to be somebody that will, and they're going to get the better of it. So, you know, it's, you, you can't bemoan the fact that you're not winning these things if, if it's not your entire life. Um, even Brooks Kepka, as much as he loves to say it's, it's not his entire life except for majors, um, in his own way, he does practice every day. He, goes, he says he goes to the gym at least six times a week, maybe seven. And I promise you, I, you know, I, can, I could debate whether or not what he's doing in the gym actually makes him a better golfer. But if he thinks it makes him a better golfer, and if he believes it gives him more power physically and more power mentally, and also he believes the work he does there makes him deserving it makes him deserving of the upper hand in major championships, then that is practicing. That is commitment. That is putting
putting yourself in the right place mentally to play your best golf. You got to get there on that first tee, and we're all trying to figure out how to do it. Where you look around and you think nobody can beat me here, and I deserve to win this. This is mine. I've put in the work because if you're not going to put in the work, if it's not going to, if it's not going to be some substantial um, sacrifice on your point, on your behalf, well, then some part of you is going to think that you don't deserve it. Um, you have to sacrifice to do extraordinary things. That's what makes them extraordinary. You've put in the sacrifice. Well, it's it's been interesting to see Rory, who, again, I think, you know, you've talked a lot about Rory and his talent. I mean, you've mentioned Rory and Dustin as the two guys, and I think at this point, I'm, I'm assuming Kepka's on that list, as the guys that were the the next in line of the guy with with kind of the full arsenal of talent. I mean, they can hit it forever. They hit it straight enough. They've got a great short game when it whenever it's clicking. Those types of things that that equate to big wins. What I have found very interesting, and it happened in Memphis with Rory, is a lot of the time when he's face to face with the best players, and he was playing alongside Brooks Koepka, and he played poorly on Sunday. Uh, you know, I go back to, to the Masters a couple of years ago when he was in the third round final group at Jordan Spieth and he didn't make a birdie and shot 77 and Spieth kind of ran away uh, and distanced himself from Rory that day as well. It, it, again, it just seems, and this goes back to your point, it's a, it's completely mental for this guy when he gets to these moments. And I wonder if it's, I want to be so great that these moments are so huge and I know it and other guys go into it just just going out and going about their business and playing golf. And, uh, and maybe to him, it's it's a little more cerebral because that's kind of the guy he is. Well, I mean, I know we get fixated on those moments. There's enough of them to give us plenty to talk about. But once again, he leads the tour in Varden scoring average, okay? He's going to win this year, and that'll be his third time. There's been two players win more than two Varden trophies. Two. Um Tiger Woods has won it nine times, uh, and Greg Norman <laughs> won it five times. So, you know, there's nine Spieth times. won it twice. <laughs> right. There's DJ. Now, that doesn't count. They never counted Jack because they said he didn't play enough. But Jack would have won six or seven. Uh, but, you know, even if you look at player of the years, you know, Tiger won it 11 times. Watson won it six times. Nicholas won it five times. Hogan won it four times. Uh, so we're going to... When you st- I look at Varden Trophy, you know, as as to me it is it is it is much it's a much greater piece of territory than a major championship. Um, again, you know, McElroy, Couples, Kite, DJ, Speed. Those are the only players who've won it twice. McElroy's going to now have won it third three times. Okay, so it goes Tiger, Norman, McElroy. Um, that's heavy territory, you know. I mean, Rory won the Players' Championship this year doing things that were, and again, there were plenty of good players in that field, and he, he beat them into oblivion. So, and he's won four majors. So he's done it before, but I, you know, I, I, I think at some point he'll figure out what he's been doing prior to major championships is not putting him in the best place mentally to play his best golf. And then he won't be behind. He'll be ahead. And and being ahead is where he's played his best golf. You know, I, I you know, some people are just 
better when they're in with the lead. I mean, Tiger was Tiger spoiled us. He was with the exception of majors. And by the way, I mean, Tiger wasn't great chasing in majors. Still never won one chasing, um, ex- except the Masters this year. Um, so that was his first one ever. But, uh, but Tiger wasn't great chasing. He was a great leader. Um, and that's sort of been Rory's domain as well. But I look at him leading the Varden Trophy this year as a, a far bigger indicator of his overall game and potential over the next five years than these sort of mini collapses in early or late rounds of, of golf tournaments. I wanted to get your grade on the 2019 schedule change. Did you did you enjoy it? Did you like the condensed style? Do you see it continuing? Obviously, I know they announced 2020, and it's very similar with the Olympics mixed in. But are you a fan of the way the schedule was moved around this year? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, look, it, it used to be that the the, the Masters started in April, players was in March. Uh, our, 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 excuse me, players was in May, U.S. Open was in June, um, the Open was in July, the PGA was in August. So it was still a one every month, but they just moved it up a month. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard the complaints about it, but, uh, you know, I didn't hear people who played well in the events complaining <laughs> about it, you know, and, right. and, and, you know, it there's always complaints when things don't go your way right. looking for a reason why they didn't go your way. And it, and, and I get it, it's human nature. It can't be me. It was the system. Um, but the system didn't just happen willy nilly. I mean, it was well thought out. Players knew well in advance how to prepare for, um, you know, players play the FedEx cup and they come one after another fast and furious in the playoffs. And, Everybody knows how it ends, basically. If you win the Tour Championship, even before this year, it's just worked that way for the majority of the years. If you win the Tour Championship, you win the you win the FedEx Cup. Uh, it's just worked that way all but one or two times. Um, so, you know, I don't put much stock in the complaints that I heard. Um, I liked it. It was good. Yeah, it's, it, you know what I think it did, and, and I thought about this before the season started, was you mentioned – earlier about Kepka, we like the superstar because they can carry the event to the next event. You know, Kepka won the PGA Championship. What's he going to do with the U.S. Open? And then us at Fox can talk about Kepka winning another U.S. Open in Pebble Beach and, and all of those things that come with that. I thought that the schedule change allowed somebody that was great, a Brooks Kepka, Dustin, a Rory, you know, go down the list, Justin Thomas, Rose, those types of players – to make a serious run at multiple majors in a season, because if you're playing well, you don't have that long of a wait to get to the next event. And so Kepka kind of did that. I mean, I know he only won one major, but he was right there in all of them. And, you know, if you're talking about six, seven, eight week gap between a major, maybe he doesn't continue to play that consistent golf or that great golf. Uh, if, if that was the case, if that's how the schedule played. Yeah. And by the way, now there's going to be, a significant off season between let's say big events. I mean, if you want to, you know, after the FedEx cup, if you want to keep playing and play all the fall events, you can do that. And if you want to play, fill up your year with all the early events for the masters, you can do that. But if you're one of the premier players, I mean, you can shut it down after the FedEx cup 
and you you know you've got eight months in between seven months in between the biggest events so you know i mean you've you've got a nice little break um and you can let your body heal you can and get your you know you sort of get that uh reacquainted with all of those people who have to deal with the sacrifices it takes to be a great player and to travel the world so i like the schedule i i don't i don't see any problem with it yeah, again I'm, the tour Tour gave a lot of thought to it. And by the way, I mean, $15 million to the FedEx Cup <laughs> champion. I mean, the sport is, is, is now getting closer to the equivalent of other sports for their premier athletes, which is, again, as I said earlier, I mean, the market determines what things are worth. Clearly, uh, FedEx thinks the market warrants this sort of investment. You know, the stars are such that they align perfectly with their demographic. Uh, and, you know, they see that the interest uh, of other athletes, of superstar athletes, is strong in the game of golf. All of these things are great for golf. And you can't convince me, even the, even the critics love to criticize the FedEx Cup. Um, you go back and look at the ratings of tour events that were at the end of the year before the FedEx Cup and compare them to the ratings of the FedEx Cup. And they're up by a third over that period of time. They're up by a third. So it's a good thing. It's worked. Well, I, I know you got to run here in a minute, so I want to just end with this because we just talked about players making a lot of money and, uh, you know, we, we've, we've hit on a little s- slow play stuff and, you know, maybe pushing those guys to uh, speed it up a little bit and how you do that. And it's probably going to end up being, you know, you're going to get dinged by strokes, not by money. This lands me at Sergio Garcia. You know, he's 39 years old, Brandel, at this point, and this year has not been a good year for Sergio. Let's just, I mean, it's, there's, there's no other way to say it. I mean, he, early in the year he had issues. He was tearing up greens. You know, the video comes out at the open where he kind of throws the driver back at his caddy, and then a, a video comes out in Memphis where he's slamming his driver off a tee box and taking a big divot. Does the tour have to say you are you can't play in events? Or uh, how do you, how do you, stop these types of acts from a guy that has been doing this his entire career? Just elevated fines. I mean, you know, I mean, even when I played the tour, if you did stuff like that, you get a fine for $5,000. Well, $5,000 isn't going to stop players who are worth <laughs> $50 million from doing those things, but a hundred thousand would, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollar fine happens. It should happen for something like that. You're you're 39. Uh, I know how frustrating golf is and can make you, but there is no denying the fact that you're, you, you represent, whether you like it or not, a role model position in the game of golf. Um, it should be pretty clear on this. It should be, it's, there should be no tolerance for that kind of behavior, um, tearing up a, a golf course. I, I, look, everybody who's played the game has felt those emotions and done those things. Um, but as you get older, it's just, uh, you know, it's inexcusable. You know, he's, he's not 16, he's not 15. He's always had, uh, sort of, uh, uh, a very volatile temper on the golf course. He's, he's not alone. I mean, there's, there's plenty of others that throw clubs and slam them. It's just, they're not as, as big a player as most as talented as he is. You know, he, he's played at 82 straight major champions. 
Sergio Garcia. <laughs> 82. No one else has sniffed that. No one else. So, I mean, you know, you need a little general reminder of, A, how good you are, how rare your talent is, the longevity you have, how lucky you are to possess that talent, that ability, to make the money you make, to just relax. Bad shots happen. I love what Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson, you know, they both have this sort of easy come, easy go attitude on the golf course. Dustin Johnson was on our set at the, at the Open Championship. We asked him about why he seems to play the game with so little temper. And he said, why am I going to get mad when I hit a bad shot? I hit bad shots all the time. Why am I going to get mad when I hit a great shot? He goes, I hit great shots all the time. You know, he's like, I, I'm just out there playing the game. This is what I do. Uh, and I, I thought, wow. I mean, we can all learn from that. Um, with bad shots all the time. You know, it's like grow up. Just grow up. And if you're not going to grow up, when we're going to find you into oblivion then. Um, $100,000 fine. You know, pay it or you don't get to play the next event. Um, well, sooner or later, he'd learn. If he hasn't been taught by the game, he could be taught by penalties. I mean, you don't speed on the highway because if you get caught two or three times, you either lose your license or your insurance goes up $10,000. And so you don't. I mean, that's how you, that's how you appropriately affect, you know, monitor behavior of people. Um, it's always worked. It always will work. Um, it's, uh, it was, uh, you know, it, I, I, we get to cover these, these junior events and, and we talked about it when we started chatting is, you know, we get a chance to cover the, the junior amateur and, and the girls junior, and we have the U S women's amateur next week. And then the U S amateur at Pinehurst. And it's crazy how, how, how these young teenage players control their tempers. Now I feel like more than ever, I mean, they, they don't get really frustrated and they, they stay within yeah. themselves and you see it from these young players and then you see somebody like Sergio, as you mentioned, who has been around forever that can't seem to buck that. And you, you obviously, you know, there's a red flag there, and you want to, you want to just remind him, as you said, that people are watching you. There's a country that is watching you all the time, and you're the most popular player from Spain, and people still love you, and they still want you to do great. And when you're doing these things, and they're circulating, and hey, by the way, every single golf fan out there is now a cameraman because the phones are allowed and they can video this stuff, it's not going to go away. I mean, you're not going to do something like that and it not find its way out on the internet. And so, you know, as you said, I, I guess the, the, you know, up in the fines and forcing players to pay a whole bunch of money will do that. Brandel, as I said, I know you got to run. I appreciate the time as always. Check out the Brandel Chambly podcast with Jaime Diaz. And I'm assuming we're going to see you this week and next on Golf Channel and through the playoffs. That's right. I'll be uh, doing this through the playoffs. Uh, I have a few other events to do at the end of the year, and then I'm going to play a few uh, on the PGA Tour Champions. So I'll be uh, busy either talking or playing <laughs> uh, until the end of the year. Shane, I, I always enjoy your telecast. Uh, you guys have a great team and uh, really enjoyed the year that uh, you all put together on Fox. So uh, thanks for having me on. It's always fun talking to you, Shane. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it. Cheers. <clears throat> It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. It's in the hole. A big thanks to Brandel Chambly for jumping on. You know, one of the voices of this generation of golf, really. And when he talks, you listen. That's all. It's the best compliment I can give the guy is when he when he speaks, either you agree with it or you don't. That's fine. But when he talks, you have to listen because he obviously does the research, he does the homework, and he knows what he's talking about. And I respect and appreciate that more than anything else in 
really broadcasting is people that are prepared and ready to rock. So thanks to Brandel, a big thanks to Titleist, a reminder, sign up if you will at Team Titleist, www.titleist.com slash Team Titleist. It's just a community of people talking golf. If you like that, you're going to like this. That's just, that's. I have a whole ad read I can do. That's the ad read I'm going to give you at the end of this podcast. That is it. Team Titleist is a place to go to, to chat about everything in golf, equipment. You can chat about golf courses, travel, the tour, all of those things. And you can find it all in one place. That's at Team Titleist. So go sign up. Do it for me. And lastly, the U.S. Women's Amateurs next week. We have two events left on our 2019 Fox schedule, which is bananas. It seems like it's flown by. We have the U.S. Women's Amateur next week at Old Waverly. That gets going on Wednesday on FS1, and we will take you all the way through to the championship match on Sunday. And then the following week is the U.S. Amateur at Pinehurst. Same deal. Wednesday we rock. Sunday we end on Fox. And that'll be it for the 2019 Fox Golf schedule. So uh, you get two more weeks of us. I hope you DVR it, and I hope you watch it live, and I hope you enjoy it because we're excited about it. Two of my favorite events to do in the entire season, and we get going, like I said, Wednesday bright and early, and we don't stop for two weeks. And then we'll go on a little bit of a break. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Get out, play some golf, and we'll check back next week.